Music, news, entertainment, it's all right here. This is The Kelly Alexander Show. Hey, it's Kelly, and joining us on the show this week is trombonist Audrey Ochoa talking about her album Afterthought and why she loves covering pop music like songs from Rihanna. We also speak with Montreal-based jazz artist Laura Anglad about her debut album I've Got Just About Everything and how she's managing to pursue her goals in such a challenging industry. Our music editor Sharon Hyland is here to discuss Taylor Swift's latest music industry feud and we hear new music from Whitney Houston, Evie Irie and Ellie Goulding. Audrey Ochoa hails from a thriving jazz scene in Edmonton, Alberta and we're happy to have her on the show. Audrey, welcome to the Kelly Alexander Show. Thanks for having me. I think it's amazing that there's like a female trombonist. You don't often see them. You know, I hear that a lot. Um, and yet when I was growing up and still the second trombone in the Edmonton Symphony is a, is a woman. And I can name a couple off the top of my head. I just don't know if we get as much. Um, I don't know. I don't forget in, like allowed into the canon quite as much, but we're around. That's <laughs> probably always been around. That's so awesome. I remember being in high school band and loving the brass section. I played drums, but I always had a, a strong affinity for brass. And so, nice. so awesome to uh, to have a trombonist on the, on the show. Let's talk about how you started into music, though. Did you have uh, inklings as a child that the trombone was going to be your instrument? Huh. Um, I... I came from a musical family. My dad was a trumpet player in like the Manila Symphony a year, a million years ago. And then in Edmonton as well, my mother's an accordion player and my sister is a saxophone player. My twin sister is a saxophone player. So it's, it was expected in our family and we're Filipino. So it's like, you got to perform every Christmas for family. So it's like performing and music has always been in the family. That's super cool. That's amazing that you have a twin sister. Do you guys like play together? Is she on the sax, you on the trombone? Kind of. Sometimes. Like, there's a country band that we, we are horn players in, and we used to play in a ska band together, but she sort of, like, had kids and then, you know, became an occupational therapist and lives <laughs> changed a little bit, but we still play together. I just think for anyone in Canada, um, I'm not sure that a lot of people would feel that Edmonton is a hotbed of jazz music. I know Montreal is, and we have that reputation, yeah. which is something that we're proud of. Um, but yeah, like, Edmonton, talk to us about the jazz scene. Uh, well, it kind of goes back... Um, Edmonton's like in Alberta and it's basically a boom city, like an oil city, Calgary more so, but like we've got a lot of people moving to the province for that. And those are the capitals. And because of that, and because of Tommy Banks, a piano player who passed away a couple of years ago, who had a TV show and he would bring in all these like national international musicians to come be on his show and then to do long contracts in the many clubs and bars that there were. So like for decades, we actually had quite a thriving scene where everybody was making a living. And somehow, and we also have the Yardbird Suite, which is um, one of North America's longest running jazz clubs, established in 1957. It's a beautiful venue. And it also brings in national, international artists 10 months out of the year. It takes a two-month break every year. But because of those institutions and, like, the history and, and all of that, it, I, I've always thought it was a thriving jazz scene. That's fantastic. That's really great to know. I just, yeah, because again, you don't want to sound that you're uneducated about the different parts of Canada, but I think there's perceptions about who does what. And so, yeah. we're not a port city and, you know, we're known for the Oilers and a big mall, which we also have, but like, (laughs) they still need jazz musicians to play their parties. (laughs) It's true. That's so cool. Now, um, you spoke a little bit about some of the uh, the people that I guess created the scene for you in in Edmonton. I just want to go back to your musical influences. Who did you look up to growing up? Was it all like in, you know instrumentalists or did you you know love Michael Jackson yeah I looked up to singers and I wanted to be a pop star um, <laughs> and so I still just you know want to play in Beyonce's band and 
like to cover Rihanna when I can on shows uh, and singers and musicals and, and, and that. Um, I played a lot of music like professionally when I started about seven, when I was 17 playing in Latin bands. So listening to Willie Colon and all that funny uh, salsa stuff where a trombone is front and center. I'd never heard that before where trombone gets featured. So that was a big influence, the Latin, the Latin scene, the salsa scene. That is fantastic. And you have to tell me now, you said that you cover Rihanna in your, you know, occasionally. What is your Rihanna go-to tune on the trombone? Is the B-I-T, is that a swear? Yeah, well, it's, that that's cool. We're on a podcast, so it's B, fine. Yeah, B, better have my money. Oh I my God, do you really one. play that on the trombone? I do. I 100% do. I work I out a to that. arrangement and got oh. some pedals going. I love that song. Oh my God, that's awesome. <laughs> I, okay, you have to, after we're done, you have to MP3 me, you playing that, because I work out to that song. It's in my, my MP3 player, <laughs> so you got to send That's That's amazing. Nice. And uh, yeah, I think that's awesome too, that you would want to be in like Beyonce's band, because yeah, she is a, a huge supporter, I think, of female musicians, and yeah, her, her yes. band is usually all female, so that's, that's awesome. Who do you, um, or do, I should say, you know, being in Edmonton, um, and I ask this sometimes of, of, of singers, you know, if they're from mm-hmm. wherever in Canada or even wherever they are in the States, if they've felt the draw that they need to move to New York or they need to move to L.A. or maybe in your case, you would need to move to Montreal because the jazz scene is bigger. Yeah. Like, do you have that pull? I don't. And um, I don't know if that's to my detriment or not. I feel pretty happy with what I've been able to create from Edmonton. And like, travel's not cheap, but it's certainly more, it's certainly easier than it was like 20 years ago to get from city to city if you have to. And I do get to work around, you know, BC a bit. We're pretty close there. And between Calgary and Edmonton, there's so much stuff. Plus, I love being involved in a smaller center. You get to do a lot of, get to work in all the seams, right? Like it's a smaller pool and then you, I don't know. That's true. I don't know if that was much of an answer for you. <laughs> That's totally fine. Uh, joining us on the Kelly Alexander Show is trombonist Audrey Ochoa. You can learn all about her and grab her social media handles off her website, AudreyOchoa.com. Um, let's talk a little bit about the debut album, and then I'm going to get to Afterthought. But Trombone and Other Delights, I just want to know, when you put that out, because it was your first one, how much did you slave over it? Did you have lots of anxiety? Like how? And, and looking back, what would you say to yourself now, five years later? Oh, they're different because I hired a producer to sort of guide me, but I ended up rightfully so being a spectator in the process because I had to be, I was learning everything. And so it was easier in some ways because I just handed the controls like off to somebody else, the decision-making. And then with this one, with Afterthought, I produced it and there was nobody to tell me that's a good take. That's not a good take. I like that song. I don't like that song. Like, change that chord it was just I had to just rely on my own instincts which I hadn't done before it's way easier to have somebody just tell you yes (laughs) but I like the process of you know learning what you like because when you're a student for so long teachers whoever they tell you what you should like and they tell you what's good and they tell you you know they guide you but when you when you do it yourself you have to trust yourself this is true. Now, on, yeah. the, on the album, on Afterthought, the, the latest one, I know that you, uh, it features your own compositions. And again, this is mm-hmm. fascinating to me. And again, I, I sound like I'm just uneducated, but I just, I just love that, that you would sit there and create you know, these amazing compositions around the trombone. Like, is it challenging? Did you maybe need to write some chords on the piano first, or can you really go straight to trombone and then write songs? I wrote a lot of them on piano, guitar, and voice. Okay. And then just would transfer them to trombone. And I wrote all the music on the first album, too just because, I don't know, I like writing. <laughs> That's perfect. Yeah. Good answer. Do you have specific songs in the album that are super close to your heart, or do you feel like you're connected to all the songs, like pretty much intimately, they're, they're your babies? 
they're my babies, but I have favorites. Okay. <laughs> um, you know, like everyone has a favorite kid, right? No, yep. I don't know. Um, <laughs> Afterthought, I quite like that song. It was, um, it was like a, an experiment, and it's an experiment that worked out, I think. And, uh, and there you were. That's like, you know, the love song that I wrote for someone that I love. So, and that, so that one, too. But they're all, like, they all have different flavors and attitudes and are from different parts of my life, you know? So they're, they're, very, they're very me, I think. When you hit the road to tour with, uh, you know, promoting an album or, or what have you, how much effort and consideration has to go into figuring out the stage show part of things? You mean like the talking and the... All that the, stuff. Like all the programming, the magic. all that. Quite a bit, actually. Um, even just in terms of how much my face is going to handle, because it's a trio. Like there's no guitar, piano, or other horn player that I can sort of pass, pass off the ball and take a break. Yeah. You know, um... So we did a bunch of shows in Edmonton leading up just to sort of refine it over, I think we did like five or six uh, shows instead of rehearsals because it's not, you need to be in that show zone to to really know what's going to work or not. Mm -hmm. So yeah, a lot of work, like not as much rehearsal as there was actual presentations and dealing with the audience and which tunes Mike had to switch bases on. And so where should I program his switches. So yeah, quite a bit, I would say. And what's your thoughts on the actual standing in front of an audience and, and doing what you do? Because like, you know, it is, um, it is a skill set in and of itself, apart from you being a musician, like there's a way that you yourself as whoever artist you are has to communicate with your fans. Like, has that been something you've grown into? Uh, (laughs) I watched um, one of my best friends is a singer and she fronts a couple of bands and she's so good at talking to an audience. And I would try to emulate her until I realized she's just being herself in front of people. And that's what people want. Yeah. Authenticity, right? Mm-hmm. Just like honesty. I wrote this song in the bathtub, <laughs> you know, as like a real story, not something that sounds funny. Yeah. Um, so it's really just learning to stop being so guarded and full of anxiety and like worrying that they're not going to like you because you have no control over that. It's just, just have to talk like you're talking to, you know, a friend. And what's your favorite thing? Is it being in front of an audience or are you like a studio person? No, being in front of an audience for sure. It's a different energy. It's communal, you know, like it's, that's, I think that's what music is, right? It's sharing sharing stuff that's so cool and uh when you're sort of listening to music on your own what do you listen to i'm assuming it's not just other trombonists no i've got a lot of man somebody asked me that like a week ago and i I, i'm shocked to look at how many singers i have and not honestly that many instrumentalists which maybe i should work on um (laughs) big kurt elling fan obviously i already talked about beyonce and rihanna i was listening to Nicki minaj before you called um Big Lizzo fan right now, too. Oh, my gosh. She's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I did a lot of listening to instrumentalists and, you know, like, as a huge Cannonball Adderley fan uh, when I was younger and, you know, learned to sing all their solos. But as I get older, maybe it's just I don't invest enough time in, in really focusing and listening to new music. But lots of singers. Kitana Veloso, huge fan. I love his voice. That's yep. fantastic. Now, if you could actually go out on tour and open for any artist, who would it be and why? Oh, God. Um, <laughs> that's a real stumper there, Kelly. Um, I, I mean, I said I wanted to go on tour with Beyonce because I, I love it, but I mean, it would be a different vibe because you're just doing her thing and what you're describing kind of sounds more collaborative. So I'd have to say, you know, Hilaria Duran, okay. Roberto Wacapinti, those are some Canadian Latin guys that I admire and I love what they do. Alexis Barrow. That's I love awesome. his vibe. 
Now, talk to us a little bit, too, about the jazz scene in Canada. I sort of mentioned off the top, and again, I'm completely biased because I live in mm-hmm. the city, but, you know, um, jazz in Montreal is, is an institution, and actually, as you and I speak right now, it's the Jazz Fest, or it, it just started yeah. today. And so, uh, you know, we take great pride in that. How do you feel the jazz scene is across Canada? Is it very welcoming for you? Absolutely. Like, it has been... <laughs> I I did not know what to expect going from city to city. Is there going to be four people there? They've never heard of me. My mom doesn't live here. Who's going to come to my show? Um, but they've been great audiences, really, really attentive. And, like, I think the jazz scene's alive and well across Canada from what I've seen. It's, yeah. <laughs> Do you have uh, any inclinations? And maybe you've already done this, and I apologize if I, I haven't picked up on that. Have you done gigs overseas or, or in the States where you would want to do more tours I, over there? I've done, like... A, a few at this point, like work for universities. Okay. Um, so like they'll bring me in to guest with their, their big band. I did that for the university of North Texas, uh, the university of North Carolina, Greensboro and Wilmington. I'll be doing another one in Texas next year. Uh, it's their music. It's American music and they're very proud of it. And I think that's amazing. Talk to us a little bit about, because um, you just brought up universities and, and all that sort of good stuff. What would you say to someone who um, wants to be a, like a musician in an instrument like you're doing, where, again, it's a, it's a, a well-known instrument. It's something that people need in, in bands, but I think a lot of people don't run to it right away. Like, I don't think a lot of people run to the oboe. Right. <laughs> um, I, I have, like, this silly voodoo belief that the instrument's going to find you. That you're, oh, that's you'll cool. find your voice. Yeah. That's awesome. Kind of superstitious. And, and for young kids that, that might want to, again, follow a path that, that you're doing, what advice would you give to them? Because I'm assuming it's, you know, I, when I speak to independent singers and stuff, there's always that um, sort of discussion of, like, it's challenging. You're not only the, the, the artist, you're the business person and all that sort of stuff. And I'm assuming yeah. it's the same deal for you. The advice would be um, play your story. Somebody told me that when I was, like, 17. They're like, you got to play your story, play the songs. You like let the influences in that you actually speak to you. I don't know. That's <laughs> oh cool. God. That's cool. Uh, so thank you so much for spending time with us on the program. I've heard your stuff, your latest uh, afterthought. It's just fantastic, and you're welcome back on the program anytime. Thank you so much for having me again. That is uh, Audrey Ochoa. Again, you can learn all about her. Grab her social media handles at audreyochoa.com. Time now for a look at some new music. The Kelly Alexander Show, bringing you fresh sounds like this. We walk the line and try to see, falling behind, what could be over, bring me a higher love. Well, it's hard to believe that it's already over seven years since Whitney Houston passed away in February of 2012 at the Grammy Awards weekend in Los Angeles. Well, her family has decided it is time for the world to hear Whitney again, so they gave superstar DJ and producer Kygo Whitney's vocals on her version of Steve Winwood's 1986 hit song, Higher Love. In my opinion, he's done a great job taking this old song and giving it some new life. This is the first new music from Whitney, by the way, since 2009, and we'll have to see if we get any more from her estate as time goes on. Get a feel like you're running all empty. Life will let you down, try not to get bitter Try not to get bitter, 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 bitter 
So I heard this new song from 16-year-old Australian singer Evie Irie, and I had to bring it to you. Evie hails from just outside Sydney, Australia, and is starting to emerge as one to watch for 2019. She's kind of got this alternative soul pop thing going on, and the vocals on this song are really intriguing. This song, by the way, is the lead-off to her five-song EP, which she released just last Friday. It's called Five Weeks in LA, and this kid has definitely got what it takes to succeed. And as I mentioned, she is only 16 years old, and she convinced her family to let her move all the way from Australia to Nashville to get her recording career underway, and she is proving it was the right decision. English artist Ellie Goulding, who has sold over 15 million albums and picked up over 13 billion streams worldwide, has just released a new single called Hate Me. Now, Ellie co-wrote the song and says that it's a bit tongue-in-cheek. The melody, as you can tell, is going to get stuck in your head, but that's okay because it's a great song. And Ellie recently celebrated a fairly big achievement, if you will. She passed 10 million subscribers on YouTube, and only a few other British artists have managed to do that. People like Adele, Ed Sheeran, and Coldplay. New music on The Kelly Alexander Show. Very happy to welcome back to The Kelly Alexander Show for her 9,000th appearance, <laughs> our music editor, Sharon Highlands. Yay! Yay. <laughs> uh, Sharon, uh, we have so much to talk about today. It is crazy town with what went on. So as of uh, our little chit-chat, and we don't have a response yet from some of the parties involved as to what I'm about to bring up, uh, but at, at this point, it's already kablooey enough. Yeah, I think. So we're going to talk about Taylor Swift and her recent social media post where she attacked Scooter Braun and the guy that signed her to, I believe, her initial record uh, deal back in the day, Scott Borchetta. She was 15. Let's start that. Let's start there. So so a young a youngin, if you will. A baby. So just giving you the background, uh, Taylor Swift left the record label that Scott Borchetta had last year. Signed with Universal, from what I understand, and over the over this last few days, she uh, found out that Scott sold his label to Scooter Braun, who was Justin Bieber's longtime manager, right? For apparently three hundred million bucks. So she was upset in the fact that he now owns her masters, and then she went on this tirade about how he a tirade, a tirade. fancier than just a regular old tirade <laughs> exactly uh, that he is going to own her masters up until she left last year she called him a bully she said that he's bullied her for years and in t- and then you know even showed a picture of Kanye West and and uh, Scooter together and Justin Bieber anyways it was going on and on and on I don't think she uh, realized that she was going to get pl- clapped back on that people- probably not yeah so what are your thoughts on first of all Taylor doing this because this is what she does. Well, exactly. It's classic Taylor moves. Uh, her reputation for capitalizing on her uh, her social media cred mm-hmm. and not capitalizing in a bad way all the time. I'm trying to give her a bit of the benefit of the doubt. Um, but she's done it a lot. So are we in a crying wolf scenario? Because now if people are clapping back, as you say, so strongly, mm-hmm. they're standing up for him. Mm-hmm. Scooter Braun. Yeah. He's an adult, right? Yeah, he's like 39 or 40. Scooter. Yeah, he chose to have that name. His real name is Scott also. Oh, well, Scott Borchetta probably said, you will be Scooter. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) exactly. So, Um, yeah, go on. No, just that uh, she's done this before. So she's she's got an MO that's familiar. Mm -hmm. um, But whether crying wolf or not, if the wolf is still there, 
it just depends on, it determines then rather who's going to come and help you, right? Mm-hmm. So if she's ticked people off enough times with the crying of the wolf, then who knows? Now, the... Um, the picture that you mentioned about the self, the selfie with uh, Scooter and Bieber and Kanye, mm-hmm. clown show, um, that existed. Mm-hmm. More than a million people reacted to that photo. Then it was taken down, and then Bieber apologized for it, referring to it as distasteful and insensitive when he did it. Mm-hmm. So acknowledge that there was something wrong done. Mm-hmm. So that, there's but that. But like a so long time ago. Whatever. Yeah. It happened, yeah. right? So mm-hmm. there is a history of crappy behavior toward her mm-hmm. right because otherwise it's just a selfie yeah why are you taking it down if it's only a selfie of three fun loving fellas mm-hmm. you know so there's some negativity attached to that so you have to acknowledge that um then there's that uh scott borchetta himself mm-hmm. has uh, released part of text messages that outlined that she knew yeah because she coming. claimed yeah that she didn't right but he uh he wrote that um or this text that he's quoting where she wrote that she had to leave and decide to leave her past behind uh, to pursue other opportunities, which is kind of quite specific. Mm -hmm. And I think at this point, if you're using social media in a way where you're, you know, you know, going one for one with someone, uh, it becomes uh, libelous and slanderous. There's really quite a bit of gray area. So if, if it means something to someone, it could go to, you know, legal ramifications major right and so good for them for having the written word to prove that someone said something or someone wrote something that's good uh scooter braun's wife i think there's an issue i think that our spouses should stand up for us Mm -hmm. but who is she she's pretty well known she's been on the scene for a while and she's what does she do uh, well, right now she's raising their three kids, so she's got a that's lot going fair. on. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm, and that's fine, but yeah. her job has what to do with any of this? She, well, she's just a huge supporter of her husband, right? Okay, and she so does a lot of wife. charity events and all that kind so of stuff. shut up, right? Not you shut up, but yeah. like, really? Well, as soon as you start to mess with my man is basically what she said. Mm-hmm. That said, um, what she did write, and I will quote her, mm-hmm. don't blame him, Scooter, because Kim... Kardashian, caught you in a lie. It's embarrassing, I know, but adults own up to their mistakes. Learn and grow from them. We don't divert blame and blur the lines of reality to suit our needs. End quote. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, as much as I'm like, really don't step into the business world of your spouse and start fighting their battles, it's kind of lame. But this is a social media playing field where I guess anybody can chirp in. Mm -hmm. Um, So what she said is not... Uh, uncharacteristic of what we've seen Taylor do. Right. The accusation of blurring lines and, and using moments to to push another agenda, let's say. So all this said, where do I'm on the fence? Right. I, I, I like to point out that Taylor Swift is is exactly how she seems at times and it kind of drives me crazy. Yet at the same time, she's a solid songwriter. We know that we've discussed that at length. She mm-hmm. can write a song. She's a, a a fan of music. You can tell that. I appreciate that entirely. Um I just moving forward, did she know certain things? Is because the way that she's projecting it is that she had no idea until the last minute that this was happening, where there's other evidence to prove that she did know at some point mm-hmm. sooner and that she had the opportunity. But <laughs> I feel like uh, I can't even believe I'm going yeah. on and on about this. But <laughs> the fact that they positioned it as, well, she had her chance and she left. That's a that's a gray area statement too, because maybe yeah. her chance was bogged down with a lot of stuff. That meant more negativity for her. It wasn't just a simple transaction of, okay, I'm going to buy my master's, see ya. 
Maybe it meant, hey, I'll sell you your masters, but you're going to have to do Stay till you're 90. Exactly. So we'll see how it plays out. But it's interesting that everybody's being uh, very loud and proud about it. Yeah. And it's weird because I I feel like, because Taylor is a smart cookie, there's no question, but I almost feel like there's moments where her emotions take over. And I feel like this was an emotional moment where she didn't think it through, didn't check with her lawyers before writing all this business because, yeah, they've been able to clap back with with, um, proof or evidence. And so she's kind of looking stupid a little bit. And this but is- the stupid angle mm. furthers her claim about how hurt she is and how she's right. been bullied. But that's the part that drives me nuts about her because there's times where she does amazing things. Like she's paid college tuitions yeah. for fans. Like she really has a lot of heart to her, but then it's like she goes off the rails if she feels that anyone has slighted her in a way. And mm. I, I can't believe I'm saying this. There's a bit of Trump personality to her, like where well, he yeah. can't handle being attacked. No. And then so he goes, you know, bananas. And there's some la- layer that she does that too because just with the whole Katy Perry thing. And that's another sad part about all of this is that they recently put that all to bed even with that video where Katy shows up as the hamburger and she's the french fries. And it's like, wow, okay, this has all come full circle. They're good to go now. Yeah. So Taylor should have been free and easy for a while. You know what I mean? Of controversy. While. And she didn't last two weeks. <laughs> Think of this also. We go back to the beginning and come full circle for this conversation. Taylor Swift has been a professional officially on paper at least uh, about 15 years 15 years yeah, old yeah so there's a great chunk of m- maturity um on a regular pace that she's missed out on right so i think that has to factor in too i mean and doesn't i'm not taking away any of her success or or any of the credibility that uh that she's earned by doing what she's done, but they're on a human level. She's she may have missed out on some. Well, especially too because stuff. I think of the entourage that she has to keep around yes her. Yes, people. Yes, people for sure. Even if she has some people that actually say no, Taylor, blah blah blah. She probably still has more people that say Taylor, it's terrible. I would love to have that job. Not, oh, you not would, as a yes person. Yeah. <laughs> I'd like to be the no person. Nope, <laughs> not doing it. No, wrong sweater. We need all sleeves. <laughs> What are you doing? Oh my God. So how do you think this is going to, because now there is a social media a platform to it where there could be followed on, on her side too. Like I do think her ardent fans will never leave her just like Trump's fans will never leave yeah, exactly. him. We all have our troubles. But now <laughs> it's true. But now there's a level of like her credibility within the industry has tanked a bit. And I actually, I don't know if you saw this, Sharon, because I know we, we read a, bu- a bunch of different articles, but one I just read before you walked into studio was that this guy named Eric Logan, who was on that big machine label group, he's on the board of directors, he actually put out a, a statement saying, I cannot sit down and let this go on without saying our side of things. And then he blasted her too. And, mm-hmm. and he like blasted her and he's like, you're losing ground. You're not as popular as you once were and you're grasping at straws essentially is what he said as part of his statement. And I was like, wow, like everybody is weighing in on this. And this is the pop machine. Yeah. They, they themselves as a, not a genre of music, but as a, a promo tool run by tools they put the end date on people right Mm -hmm. so they put this perception out there that she's losing ground or she's not as good as she was almost as a deciding factor that might end her career Mm -hmm. or put it in question so that she might have this great return it's just so contrived at times yeah yeah. that it's a lot of it is none of our business like for the the suit that you just quoted as saying you know whatever that's that's like work talk. Yeah. Do it in the boardroom. Not yeah. like don't get she basically he bit the hook. Right. She baited it by blasting out mm-hmm. and other people are reacting to the blast out. But when it gets to the suits, like I don't care what <laughs> I don't. 
<laughs> I can't care. Right. At the end of the day, her diehard fan base just want her to be happy and make music and make them happy. Yeah. True. But once you start to see, you know, behind the curtain yeah. and you spot the wizard, it really... The, the one of the things, though, I can't stand about all this, and I'll, I'll finish on this, and, and you can t- give, your, give me your thoughts, is that because it's on social media and now her fans are rabid, right? Like, they are attacking. Like, I think that's partially why uh, Scooter's wife, Yale, came out and said something because they're attacking her. They're Before she even said anything, it sounds like, that they were attacking her. They're attacking their kids, like, on social media. Well, you know what, though? And so... Social media is great, mm-hmm. but who cares? Right. Is it really an attack? Well, I suppose if you're reading it. (laughs) You have an option to block the people. But maybe there's an element of them Mm -hmm. that that have tapped into that fan base too. And they associate or identify with that as well. Right. It's muddy. Yeah. But come on. Mm -hmm. Somebody call me a name on Facebook. (laughs) Uh, Too bad. Come on now. Going forward, if you were Taylor Swift's uh, grand guru, what would you be telling her today? Okay. (laughs) I'd say, Taylor, go to the beach. Okay. Take a break. (laughs) Find a friend. Words with friends. Right. <laughs> Simmer down. Yeah. Uh, Sharon Highland, thank you for stopping by as Priyush. Thanks for the chat, Kel. Our uh, music editor, Sharon Highland. And of course, we also host another show together called 90s Now. 90snow.com is where you can grab all the good stuff. And of course, you can grab us on all of the uh, online podcast platforms as well. And social media. Don't say anything bad about us, though. <laughs> Out. Listen anytime, anyplace. Just a click away. KellyAlexanderShow.com Keep in mind that you can subscribe to our show on major podcast platforms like Apple, Stitcher Radio, Spotify, and Google Play. Joining us on the show now is Montreal-based jazz vocalist Laura Anglade, who is originally from the south of France. Laura has just released her debut album, I've Got Just About Everything, and we're looking forward to learning all about it and where she got her musical start. Laura, welcome to The Kelly Alexander Show. Hi, thank you so much for having me. So let's talk about the fact that you were born in France, raised in Connecticut, and now you are here in Montreal. So talk to us about that journey. Like, were you in France for for many years before you headed to the States? Actually, I never really lived in France. We would go back every summer with my family because my grandparents are over there. Um, But uh, I moved to Connecticut when I was five, and I actually lived in Malaysia before that because my parents loved to travel. So I spent most of my most of my childhood, and I I really grew up in Connecticut mainly. Okay, cool. And um, yeah, I guess I I really wanted to come to Montreal for school. Uh, I didn't go to school for music at all. I actually went for translation, and I chose Montreal because of the bilingual city, of course, and it was just something that really attracted me because I missed that French side that I had, I guess, that I didn't really get to explore very often because we would go back home to, well, I call it home, but we would go to France only once a year, right? And Mm -hmm. it wasn't for very long every time. So I wanted to explore a little bit of little bit of that. That's fantastic. That's awesome. Um, Especially because like usually when uh, Americans, and I know you're not fully American, but they usually go to Toronto. So the, the mm. fact that you came here is <laughs> is, a, is a pretty good deal. So how did you get, then go from translation into music? Well, I always had music in the house. I started out playing classical piano, actually. My mom was the one who brought that. Um, she plays classical herself. And then in terms of jazz, my dad loves gypsy jazz. He plays guitar. So ever since I was a little girl, I would always have like Django playing in the background. And I never really got into it until I studied privately with um, my teacher, Matthew Serapine in Connecticut, who kind of reintroduced jazz to me 
through a tune called I've Got Just About Everything, which is the title of my album. And that was really something that struck me when I first heard it. And he kind of joked about it the first lesson we had. And he said, oh, I can see it now. Like, I've got just about everything, first album in a couple of years. And I kind of wanted to pay tribute to him in a way. That's super sweet. That's awesome. And when you were growing up in the States, did you play instruments as well, or was it always vocals? I accompanied myself uh, with piano. I did a lot of singer-songwriter stuff in cafes. Like I love to play Sarah Bareilles and like Elton John and all of that. Um, so I mostly played piano, and I play a bit of ukulele as well. Oh, that's cool. That's awesome to have that skill. Lo- people love ukuleles. So that's like... <laughs> yeah, it's kind of in right now. <laughs> it's for sure in. Oh, my God, it's amazing. So when you moved to Montreal, was it, you know, right away immersing yourself into the jazz scene here? Because this is obviously a big deal for us in Montreal having jazz. Of course. Uh, well, I was super, you know, impressed at how kind everybody was and how inviting everyone was right at the beginning. Having grown up in Connecticut, I, I'd go to New York a bunch and it was always a bit intimidating because it's such a big city um, to play jazz in, of course. And, and in Montreal, it was amazing because of, again, because of the size. And uh, everybody just kind of was there with open arms and I, I jumped right in. It was at a jam session the first time that I performed. And uh, it's cool because everyone kind of gets together every week and, and you get to meet a ton of new people and sort of see who you vibe with musically. And uh, it's pretty much what happened, yeah. When it comes to jazz, where do you think you fall in it? Do you fall into traditional jazz or are you a little bit like left of center, let's say? Definitely traditional. Uh, yeah, I think my, my style is for sure straight ahead jazz. So um, any like Anita O'Day or Sarah Vaughn, that's really right up my alley. <laughs> and do you have like when you were growing up, were you listening to pop music? Were you listening to rock music as well? Or was it really sort of um, like you talked about earlier, the influences from your parents? For sure. Well, my parents um, listened to a, a wide variety of stuff. They really they really got me into rock as well. Like I love the police and I love queen and I, I grew up with all those groups as well and classical as well. Actually I have, uh, I'm lucky because I have a wide palette. I was exposed to that since I was little. So that's definitely allowed me to choose a style of my own in a way. What's your take on the fact that in today's musical landscape, depending what genre you're in and I'll, I'll just say pop for a second, a lot of, artists are not releasing albums anymore. They are hmm. doing singles because that seems to be like if they have a hit single, then they just need to come up with another hit single. And that's kind of how things go. In my opinion, I feel like jazz is one of the genres that still requires, or maybe not requires, but is still very welcoming of a full album. So what's your thoughts on that? Well, I definitely agree with you. I think that it's really a big deal to put out new music. It's always a bit of a scary thing. And I think that to put out an album, you definitely need to have some sort of theme behind all of the songs that you choose, or if it's a theme, at least like something relating the composers together, something, something special, you know, something that stands out. It's important to like most of the, most of the uh, tunes on my record are actually standards. And what's important to me there was for the group to sort of, bring an original touch to it uh, while still paying tribute to the tradition. <clears throat> so I think that I haven't really put out very many originals. There's one original tune on the record, but that's still something that I'm 
working towards doing. Uh, but in terms of an album, I think that's what's special about it is that it really leaves room for a ton of creativity and sort of piecing the tunes together. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Rather than just putting out a single, a bit of a different, uh, a bit of a different thing. Joining us on the show this week is Montreal-based jazz vocalist Laura Anglad. Make sure you check out her website, lauraanglad.com, for more information on her. And, of course, you can grab all of her social media handles. When it comes to the album, um, you mentioned it's it's mostly containing standards. How did you go about choosing those, Laura? Uh, well, my, my band and I really chose all the tunes together. Um, they've either branched from, like, some of our favorite composers, like there's a bunch of uh, Jimmy Van Houston in there. Um, and I think it's just, it's either the composers or the tunes, like for instance, June's the Word is a tune that um, a professor of mine called David Lom showed me the first time. And it's, I chose the tunes based on sort of an emotional, a person, very personal feeling that I had towards them the first time I heard them. Um, so just emotionally speaking, tunes that really stood out to me. I think I, I wanted to um, to include those for the ones that I had along the way, I guess, so far. <laughs> That's super cool. And and did you feel a lot of pressure because this is your debut album, or do you feel like the pressure's off because it is your debut album? That's a really good question. Um, I think somewhere in the middle. I think it's it's you know it's very exciting. I'm kind of along for the for the wave. We'll say um, it's all really positive, and and everyone that I've worked with so far has been just incredible like these opportunities keep coming and and i'm i'm super grateful in every way so uh it's a really positive thing i think it's good to put yourself out there and uh i'm definitely proud and uh, really excited to see what's to come now when it comes to playing the album are you going to do dates across canada will you go down back to the states like what's the plan to promote it Right now, we are actually heading on tour. Uh, Today's the first day of the tour. It's in Montreal. We're playing um, at the Jazz Fest, actually. We're launching the Jazz Festival at Upstairs at 7 p.m. And the next show's at 9.45 p.m. And then tomorrow, we're headed to Prince Edward County, where we're going to do another show. And then we're going to Merrickville, where we'll do a dinner show at the Baldican Inn. And then we're going to finish off and do one last show in Ottawa. Oh, that's really cool. And and talk to us a little bit about being welcomed by audiences, because I almost feel like jazz artists obviously have um, high standards to uphold, but I almost feel like audiences are so happy to have jazz artists in the house, because I just feel like jazz makes people feel good, even if it's a sad song. Like, it's just people love jazz. For sure. Well, it's something, you know, it's really intricate music, but at the same time, it's really universal. Um, I think, well... We have to take into account the history of jazz. That's why I'm so attached to traditional jazz, because I think it's so important to just remember where that music came from. And um, the fact that it's still it's still very much alive and people are you know, using it in different ways, whether it be straight ahead or modernizing it more. But um, jazz really leaves room for a ton of creativity, uh, especially in terms of improvisation. I think it's definitely a huge challenge uh, just to use my ear alone when improvising because I really, I really rely on my musicians on stage and it's a really spontaneous kind of style where you really have to be on 
your feet at all times. And there's a lot of trust that you need to have between your musicians and yourself as a performer. So it's, um, it's always on the go. It's really, it's really amazing. What's your favorite part about being on stage? Is it the whole thing? Is it that you're connecting with people? Is it that you are singing? What is it? I think it's really cool that I think the response that uh, we get when we play is is pretty priceless just because I feel like I can be entirely myself and at the same time I'm I'm a pretty shy person so it's a very vulnerable position to be in but um it's a pretty extraordinary feeling to be able to reach people and to connect people um because again like I said it's a really intricate style of music but at the end of the day like when we're doing a tune and it sounds really good and everybody's in the moment like everybody's equal you know mm-hmm. I think that that's my favorite part I wanted to ask you about the support of your family and friends. How is it? Like, are your parents super behind you? Are they nervous for you that you're in, you know, the world of music? Like, how is that all playing out? They're incredibly supportive. They've always been supportive. My parents, um, especially, I was the one who actually wanted to go to school for a translation. That was my choice. But I had, uh, I had gotten into a few schools in the States for music, but I don't think that it was the right time for me then, and um, I somehow managed to get around to doing music anyway, <laughs> because <laughs> your, your passion kind of follows you, you know. Um, but they're extremely supportive. My friends as well. I'm I'm really really well surrounded in that in that regard. And when it comes to self promotion, because nowadays you have to do it all, it seems. What are your favorite social media platforms, and do you find that they are helping you advance your career? I think that uh, Instagram is my favorite uh, just because that also seems to be the most popular one now. And I think it's cool that you have a bunch of different options. Like you can do, you know, a quick, whether it's a quick story promoting a show that you're playing that night, if you don't really have time to be online, you can just sort of do a quick shout out or you can do like a live video or you can post kind of a small snippet of a video and then, like relate it to an existing YouTube video if people are interested in what you do and they want to hear more. So I really like the way that it's set up. uh, And I I would say that I mostly use Instagram. And before I let you go, what would you say to an up-and-coming musician who wants to do what you're doing? Uh, Because I'm sure you've had some bumps and bruises along the way, and I know you're still learning about where you're headed and all that sort of good stuff. But for someone, like, I always feel like when you go through something, you want to you know, help people not go through it <laughs> who are coming up behind you if you can uh, or or, yeah, sh- or sort of, of send course. them in the right way. So what would you say? I think the most important thing is to stay true to your style um, and also stay humble because it's important to be humble. You know, like you have to be doing it for the right reasons. Like it has to, if it's really a passion that you want to express and, and, and then you should absolutely go for it. And, you know, no matter what, what goes on because there are going to be moments where you're not sure of, or, and it's all, it's like always kind of always jumping into the unknown. You can never really know what's going to happen and things are always moving. It's not a very stable lifestyle, I would say, but um, I would say just keep remembering why you're doing it at the end of the day. 
That's perfect. Sure. Yeah. That is perfect. Well, thank you so much for doing this. It's been such a pleasure to, to have you on the show. Your album is fantastic. I wish you nothing but the best, and you're welcome back onto the oh, program thank anytime. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. That is uh, Laura Onglad again. Learn all about her. Grab her social media handles off of her website, lauraonglad.com, for more info and all of her social media handles. Well, thank you so much for spending time with us on the program this week. We always appreciate it. A shout out to our guests as well. And of course, a big high five to our super producer, Adam Briesel. You can grab all of our social media handles by hitting up our website, kellyalexandershow.com. And we'd love for you to check out our videos on YouTube, youtube.com slash kellyalexandershow. And while you are there, please hit the subscribe button. Have a great week. You and I'll chat soon. The Kelly Alexander Show.